1: Now, recently, I was helping product leaders and managers in a large nonprofit organization improve their performance. When we discussed the use of MVPs, minimal viable products, one question asked was if the MVP approach applies to services. Well, the answer is yes, and our guest shares an interesting example that will help us get more in touch with this use of an MVP and how to scale from modest beginnings to something that works. The MVP approach, or if you prefer, the MVE for Minimal Viable Experiments, is a significant philosophical shift for some people, looking at things differently. It means doing the minimum needed to learn what creates value for a customer aligned with solving a problem for them or satisfying a job that they want done, before creating the complete product. And I think of it as a series of small, fast, and inexpensive experiments which is why I call it MVE, Minimal Viable Experiments, experiments that help us learn what a product should be. Our guest is Abdo Riani. He's a serial entrepreneur and founder of Startup Circle, which connects successful entrepreneurs with rising founders to help them move their ideas and businesses forward with actionable and relevant advice. I also take notes for you all the way through our discussion, making it easy for you to look back at any points that you want to follow up on, You'll find those notes along with the links that we share at com slash 213. Now to our discussion. Hi, Abdo. Thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Chad, thank you
2: for having me. It's, I'm very excited for this uh, for this goal and uh, this uh, session.
1: Well, I appreciate you reaching out to me. I get to hear from uh, lots of incredible people. What caught my attention when you reached out was you have this... I guess we'll call it a company, maybe more of a movement called Startup Circle. We'll chat about that some at the end, but really a lot of interesting experience. And you've helped startups and founders and other companies with this journey of of trying to satisfy customers with a product that delights them. And uh, that's what we're going to spend some of our time talking about. But first, I'm always curious why people listen to this podcast. You have listened in the past And it's really fascinating to me. I I think of this podcast going out primarily to people that are kind of mid-career. They often have like 10 plus years experience in product management. We have some global leaders of innovation that listen to this as well. And a lot of people that are thinking about getting into product management and want to know what it's like, right? And so delighted that those people find value in this too. And quite a few people that are, are involved in startups that listen to it. I was just curious about... I don't want this to be self-serving at all. I'd I like to know how people kind of stumble across it and why they listen.
2: Well, Chad, for me, the Everyday Innovator podcast is like a an innovation mall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like I'm entering a mall that has everything you need about innovation, whether it's you know uh, case studies, experts, lessons, uh, everything you need to learn uh, about innovation, how to leverage in- innovation in your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember back... A couple months ago, I was planning my trip to Europe. One of the things I wanted to plan for is the things that I want wanted to listen on my way there. And that's when I found the Everyday Innovator podcast. And uh, that's when I fell in love with a podcast. Mm, thank you. What I like about it is that it's actionable. It uses so many examples by different people in different types of organizations. Um, and unlike many other podcasts, this one is targeted, right? It's specific to one specific topic. Uh, something that allows me to have a very clear idea what to listen to and where to listen to what I want to listen uh, very quickly. So congrats on your success so far.
1: Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. that that's great. just, just like, like to hear how people came across it and why you listen. Let's dive into what we're going to talk about. As we were recording for this, you, you shared that the secret to successful product launches is doing things that don't scale in the beginning. And that caught my attention because I interpret that one way. And Mm -hmm. first off, we might not be on the same page about what we mean by that. So why don't we start with that? What do you mean by not scaling in the beginning, perhaps?
2: For me, Chad, doing things that don't scale means going to market under the condition of the unavailability of the product. Hmm. And I think the best way to explain that is by using an example. And I know... Mm -hmm. A big chunk of the conversation that we're going to have today is, is a case study. Um, I so love case studies. Back when I was a, um, a sophomore in college, I wanted to create a venture that rewarded users for their eco-friendly actions. I've always been passionate for the environment still. Am. Now, creating a product that will allow me to track people's recycling – uh, give them or award them points and allow them to redeem those points from local businesses with something that hmm. would cost me a lot of money and a lot of time and, and, and is yet to be validated. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I did, I became the product. I did things that don't scale. I became the one connecting people to the nearest recycling facility. I became the the person who updated their points and the person who allowed them and gave them and sent them, sent them receipt to go and redeem, get points from local businesses. I became the product and that allowed me to go to market quickly, test the idea quickly and generate about $20,000 in pre-sales that allowed me to create the product later on with a lot more information about customer needs and behavior and scale it on stronger foundation. So that's one example of what it means to go to market under the condition of the unavailability of the product by doing it right. on
1: scale. Right. And I like how you phrase that, that you became the product. You know, there, there's this now ancient example of the guy that created the Palm Pilot, right? So pre-smartphones, we had the uh, little digital system that you could read your handwriting and you could take notes on. And he literally took a block of wood that fit in his shirt pocket pencil stylus thing and walked around with it and interacted with people as if he was taking notes on this block of wood to just start getting the experience and getting reactions from other people. And there's a lot of things that we can do like that to learn before we actually build the product.
2: Exactly. any Pretty much anything, in my opinion, Chad, can be executed on, can can be started uh, by following this simple strategy, especially for those who are bootstrapped. They are self-funded, getting initial traction, getting initial validation, early validation, and getting an opportunity to pre-sell your product Mm -hmm. while interacting with your customers is uh, how you can leverage this strategy to accomplish all of your goals.
1: Awesome. I have a quick story for you, and then we'll dive into your case study. This, This was a guy that had the idea of, and I forget the exact context, it was people requesting their social security card, they lost it, or it was some kind of government form you had to fill out and this was back in the early 90s, we were getting people on the internet but still getting used to such things. He thought, well, why can't we just put a form up on the web to make this easier for people to do? And there was no government interface, right, to do that. That was just completely foreign. So he had a couple people in a back room. <laughs> they, would, they put the form up on the website. You could fill it out, and then it went to email type thing. And The people in the back room hand-filled out the actual form, put a poster stamp on it, and mailed it into the government agency. And this all worked just fine. And it was exceptionally mechanical. And he did this for all of six or 12 months or so. And there was a company that wanted uh, that domain to, to make this real. And he sold his little business for $1.5 million because he had the, he had the brand there, just mm-hmm. not at all automated, right? So it was the, just the idea, really.
2: But believe me, Chad, it's easier to automate once you have that yeah. level of validation, right? Uh, even if you're seeking funding, if you're fundraising, people will you know, jump all over the opportunity. They would want to fund you. They would want to invest in you because you've, you've proven that this is a solution that people want. And you know, if, if we're to summarize everything, it's really about getting hands dirty uh, instead of getting wallets dry, to be honest with you.
1: Okay. So tell us more uh, about this in the, in the context of a case. I like this hands dirty part. Are you going to continue with the recycling or do you have a different case for us?
2: Well, I have – In many cases, we can continue the recycling uh, if you'd like, and and then we can jump to other
1: case studies. Sure. So let's take a path through this and start with the idea in the beginning. Where did the idea come from? For me at that time,
2: I remember reading an article, and the article talked about how uh, a lot of people are innovating in the hardware space when it comes to recycling. Mm-hmm. But no one is innovating in the software and business model space. As we know, innovation isn't just about innovating hardware. It could be business model innovation, it could be design innovation, so on and so forth. And, and I realized that there are many things that we can do, that we can start with, that would allow us to solve at least a portion of this problem, awareness and boosting recycling rates. Mm-hmm. That's when I started hypothesizing and ideating about how we can accomplish that goal. And the simplest quickest way to do that is by giving people an opportunity to earn points, to earn rewards from local businesses and online businesses by recycling, recycling more, and sometimes taking the things that they recycle anyways, but recycling them with local businesses to help those local businesses as well. So that's how it all started.
1: Okay. W- was there a connection there at the time of this idea between Points for the recycling I do, and I can redeem those points at the business. Was there an actual connection with the business in terms of the recycling, or was it just that incentive to say you do X, we'll give you Y?
2: There was no, there was no connection to Recycle Spotter, which was the name of the startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the idea was about rewarding, incentivizing people to recycle okay. uh, by giving them rewards. And okay. for me, you know, one of the things I thought about at that time: yes, I could buy uh, iPhones and some technology and award them to the most, the person who recycled the most. But I think one of the things I wanted to accomplish at that time was also help local businesses. Yes. So that's when I introduced the idea of a local business.
1: Yeah, because it has that. So there's kind of the, the two value chains here that you're actually mm-hmm. addressing, right? The value chain of the person who's doing the recycling, they're getting something from the business that they're getting a discount And probably also the social good, right? That they're feeling good about, they're doing something socially responsible. And the business is seeing more customers because they have people coming in to use their points. Is that fair?
2: Yes, sir. Exactly. That's exactly the value proposition for every single stakeholder that you mentioned right now.
1: Okay, good. So that's where we are with the idea. And then we take this idea, and we move forward with thinking, well, does anyone actually care about this idea or not? We have to do something to try to validate our approach to solving this. So what's the next step?
2: For me, at that time, the next step was fundraising. To be very honest with you, mm-hmm. so I tried raising funds for building this application for about eight months. Uh, I spoke with over fifty potential investors, and I was not successful at fundraising. Those who expressed interest in um, in investing in my venture required some traction, mm-hmm. some validation, some revenue. And for me, at that time, you know, I, my answer would be, you know, how could I get the traction, the validation, and the revenue if I don't have the product and I need the money to build the product? But that's when I started thinking differently. That's when I changed my mindset to yeah. doing things that don't scale. So when I decided to approach things differently, that's when I uh, started doing the simplest thing. And the simplest thing was I need three key, three members of these three stakeholders. I need one recycling facility. I, w- I need one local business and I need one interested user. I found the user from interacting with people randomly on campus. Uh, I pitched them the idea. Some people were very excited, and those who were excited the most were the people that I wanted to uh, work with. Mm -hmm. After I did that, I connected them with the nearest, the only recycling facility, and went with them to see if they how they behave, right? How this transaction would, would go, how, how it would work, something that allowed me to actually see and feel and live the transaction, become the people, the, the product, right? Something we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. And finally, I did the same thing with the nearest, uh, with with the only partner that we have, the only small business. And that allowed me to make some changes uh, to learn about things that needed to change before I even scale this to 10 people or 100 people. Um that was the first uh, the first step that I took. The next step that I took was that I went to the nearest environmental club meeting hmm. and I talked to the members, I presented my idea and I asked if anyone was interested in being involved in this venture. Mm-hmm. 10 people were interested and I did the exact same thing with them with the recycling facility but now I tried to add some more automation to it. Instead of obviously creating again a product which I didn't have money for, I used email. I used Excel sheets. I used any technology that I can use that can help me automate this a little more. So I started sending sending people to that recycling facility. And I was on the phone with them. I made sure that they got a receipt. I made sure that they sent me or emailed me that receipt. And then, and then I kept track of the receipt, updated their points, gave them points. And then I called the small business. It was a restaurant They went to the nearest small business. They got their meal. They sent me their receipt and updated their point. So now I went through the circle with 10 more people, something that allowed me to learn more, something that allowed me to get okay. some more validation, some more comments. Replicated the same idea with 10 more, and then 10 more, and then 100 more. Until I got to a point where the recycling facility is calling me for for all the people that I've been sending and asking and asking me for a meeting and then I went and met with them and they're like, you know what? We're actually interested in you know investing in this. Uh, we can't invest thousands of dollars, but what we can do is, you know, give you a little bit of money so you can send us more
1: people.
2: Mm-hmm. I heard that guy, you know, speak about money, something I wasn't really planning to ask for until I have build the application, they have launched the application, have validated the technology side. I said, well, I can do the same thing with more recycling facilities. 10 recycling facilities agreed to pay $200 a month and five, five small businesses agreed to do the same exact thing. Now, six months later, six, eight months later, I have $20,000 that I used to build the first version of the application and, 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 and launch a software that allowed me to scale by connecting people to the closest uh, recycling facility through the, the geolocation feature, by updating their points automatically, by uh, adding the um, you know barcode scanning feature, hmm. um, by allowing them to you know uh, request uh, rewards and small businesses and so on and so forth. So that was you know the initial stage, the first six months of launching the the startup by doing things that don't scale and by becoming the product
1: while right. Excellent. So I want to just dive into some of the details there. What this looked like, it sounded like in the very beginning was if I was part of this, maybe I was sitting in that environmental meeting and, and heard this idea. I went, yeah, I can do that. So I would collect up my recycled materials in a bag or something and take them over to the recycle center that was somewhere located near me. Right. And drop them off. Correct. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And and you got more and more people to do that. Recycle Center, they were on board with this. And you were getting feedback that there was enough incentive to just feel good about doing that. Did you also hear that businesses were seeing people come into their places or not?
2: Yes. And that's why uh, five of the 15 or 20 at that time, businesses that we had, we're more than happy to invest $200 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why I really I later learned that the main reason why people were doing that was uh, actually two reasons. The first, you know, they felt good, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're contributing. They're making a difference. They're recycling. They're helping the environment. They're boosting awareness for the environment. And the second thing was the rewards. We, we had interesting rewards, like 50% off uh, mm-hmm. your next restaurant visit. Or thirty percent off your, you know, your your coffee or so on. Something that you know is exciting enough for people to do it just for the rewards. Um, but most people, especially the biggest fans, and Paul Graham once said, "You better have ten people that love you than a hundred people that kind of like you." Right. The ten fans that we had, uh, the hundred, uh, more than ten in the beginning were ten, and then a 1,000, uh, were people that wanted to do it for for both reasons. And in fact, most wanted to do
1: it for the environmental reason. Yeah, and that intersection of of rewards, feeling good and getting something out of
0: it. I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher performing product team meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. This is the system created by Chad, based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash now, in
1: the area where this was done, was there other recycling options available? You know, like where I live, my trash company comes and picks up the trash on, at the end of the drive, and they also pick up a big container of recycled stuff. What was your environment like?
2: Yeah, exactly the same way. This is exactly the same way it is today, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but at that time, you know, the value proposition, the selling point was the rewards and was the contribution to the yeah. environment by taking it. To the nearest recycling facility, which probably was like two, three miles away from the area that I was targeting to begin with um, and helping a local business as well. Mm -hmm. So that that was like the selling point. They could, yeah, put it outside and it's exactly what people do. Uh, But for those who wanted to go the extra mile and at the same time get something out of it, they had an option. I wanted to tell them that they had an option, Mm -hmm. how they can contribute even more.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important point because you actually had people change their behavior. Right, So if it was easy for them to recycle today, you just put it out, out on the curb, done, versus having to drive it to the recycle center, you have them to change their behavior out of this other connection to the, the business. One of
2: the most challenging parts, by the way, Chad, uh, and, um, and for that reason, back again to the importance of having your, your, your biggest fans, um, especially in the beginning, the innovators, right? Um, the, yep, the, those are early adopters even before the early adopters, the innovators, those who, who, you know, who see the future and who want to uh, become part of it and be known for being part of it. Hmm. Um, and it, it's not easy to find those people. Sometimes even the, the most active people in, in, in my community at that time, the environmental clubs were not part of that group. Uh, they had other reasons for, for being active, you know, in communities. So you need to do a, an, even, um, an even better job at finding those people. And the way you do that is by being very, very, very active and vocal. Um, at that time, you know, I didn't write articles. I didn't do Facebook campaigns. I was the person. I was the, the marketing channel. It was me. Same idea as the things we've been talking about earlier, doing things that don't scale and become the product. I was the channel. I was the one who went outside and spoke with people, introduced the idea, the goal. I was the one who went to local chambers and presented. I was the one who went to local environmental clubs and presented. Mm -hmm. I was the one who hosted events and talked about uh, all for the purpose of building awareness for this cause and for bringing the biggest fans.
1: Again, I like the phrasing, you were the product, right? So you were the one out trying to let others know about this. And find those, you know, so the, the, the wisdom in how do you market a new product, we start by having a very well-defined segment of, of users that we know that we can reach. And they share some similarities, right? That's what our segmentation work. And you were having to identify that as you go, what, what's kind of common between these people and how do I find them? Mm-hmm. And you had some resources. You you're on the campus right, as, a, as a student, so you used what was around you, Chambers of Commerce as well, and made good use of resources that were available. Take, take control
2: of the things you can control.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And for me at that time, I barely had enough funding to fund life. Yep. There was no way for me to fund any product development, even for testing purposes or paying for a SaaS tool or anything like that. I needed some uh, traction to at least justify sacrificing some mm-hmm. of the, the monthly expenses that I had. Um, but I didn't have to get to that point because people started funding my cause, my initiative, my venture, um by asking to fund it you know they were the ones uh, proposing to prepay for the upcoming solution right because I was actually um I was serving the customer mm-hmm. before having a product anyways I mean I was promoting those local businesses and uh, one of my selling points in the future was one of the things I'm going to do I would tell them is in my next meeting at the environmental club or in the event that I'm going to host I'm going to, uh, speak about you. I'm going to mention your company. I'm going to also have a logo of your company in my slides, and I'm going to project it this whole time right. so people can see you. Once again, I was the channel, the marketing yep. channel. Uh, for that reason, I always say, Chad, that if you want to start something, you know, don't tell me I don't have money. Don't tell me I, I, I can't do it because I don't have funding or resources. Because if you really knew how to do it, now if you told me I don't know how to do it without funding, I would understand. But once you know, you realize that you control your own destiny, at least the first you know, few stages of yeah. your execution, your startup execution uh, stages. And um, this is one example, and I can share many more examples. In fact, Startup Circle was the same exact idea. Um, and we can get into the details. Yeah, after.
1: definitely want to. Let me ask you about this recycling. Uh, along the way, were there any pivot points or assumptions that you had about how this would work, how people would respond, that you found out? Gosh, that's they, there's something that surprised me here. There's something that worked differently.
2: Yeah, there were. First of all, recycling facilities were not that interested in small quantities. Hmm. They usually partner with large companies and organizations and bring thousands of pounds to for recycling. That's how they make money. So the only reason why they would want to do this is just for, is, is for awareness purposes. Uh, they were also or even more interested in my uh, contribution to get local businesses to know about them than people knowing about them because local businesses that you know will bring big quantities so i started doing that i started making sure that those members those reward providers those local businesses Mm -hmm. receive weekly emails about you know local business local recycling facilities and how they can go recycle with them i even offered some discounts by building a partnership with those recycling facilities and told them if i bring people would you give them an incentive Uh, i realized also. Chad that many local businesses were actually paying to recycle. They were paying a lot of money every month to get someone to come pick up their recyclables and recycle them. When I realized that and when I heard recycling facilities talk about their need for local businesses and how they could actually go and pick up their recyclables and pay for those items, you know, I said to myself, you know, this is a huge value proposition. I can connect both this guy is going to save money and make money. And this guy is going to make money and save money. So why don't I do that? And then it's when I start connecting both people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of users, so for the users, they tended to recycle more when they have a big quantity. Uh, and that's, sometimes, that's why sometimes I would see a spike by the end of the month uh, and nothing during the month or the beginning of the month. Uh, and that's when I started creating or building a, a some programs with a few recycling facilities that agreed to do that, where they can also go and pick up those items from their homes so that they can recycle every single time, hmm. all the time. Uh, things like the, that, like this, I had to change and I had to optimize to improve the experience and to accomplish the desired outcome, which is boosting recycling rates mm-hmm. and boosting awareness for the environment.
1: Things that you would only learn. If you're on the market, if you're getting your hands dirty. And that's the point. If you had received funding for this idea early on, which by the way, is really unlikely for people listening. This is just like Shark Tank, right? The, the deals on Shark Tank are almost always for people who have sales because we need to have that learning to know that we're on the right path. But if you had, you still would have had to uncover how to really make this work. This is the work of product management to understand what is the actual problem our customer has, the job that they want done, and what creates value for them and try to match those things up. Exactly. Exactly. Really good example. And it's a fun one, right? It's your personal story and experience. Yeah, so we got through how you did the idea, how you validated that, what you learned along the way, how it grew. And we started adding automation to make this product. Did you have anything that looked like a launch or was this just an evolution of growth? It was a, a series of mini launches. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Um, so, you know, people sometimes obsess about the launch. And unless you're in Amazon or an Apple and, and you, know, you prepare for your launch for 12 months and then you launch it, most of the time people don't remember your launch. Nobody remembers, for example, the launch of Facebook or Twitter when they first launched their first version of the application. So for me at that time, you know, I learned that early on. And, and it was a series of launches. Every time I have a new feature and, and a new partnership, I would uh, launch it in usually two different ways through email. And I like to be as personal as possible by organizing a local event. Um, I took the same idea later on four or five years later by creating an online event that I would like to discuss.
1: Yeah. I want to hear about this case Is the startup circles before startup
2: circle actually shopping summit. Um, Well, uh, I'll mention that, but first chat. So I continue to launch a series of features, right? Um, and every time I launch, I try, depending on how critical the feature is, I try to host um, online, uh, offline, in-person events to talk about this edition and how it's going to contribute to uh, the next stages. And I always make sure that I get to meet with my biggest fans, uh, the people that are willing to share their comments with you, they're willing to spend time with you, Essentially, your customer advisory board, people that care what's going to what's going to happen next, uh, what the next stages are. And I also made sure that a person or two from the board uh, include a recycling facility and a local business. This way, I can also hear their perspectives and they I hear their, their goals and intentions. Um, and that's how it continued until about two years and a half later, where I had a an, a, an offer for an acquisition i i thought it wasn't fair uh and i got to a point where i realized that i'm a lot more passionate about launching businesses by doing things that don't scale than running businesses um and i realized and i decided to shut that business down Hmm. um and that's when i started aspire it which is a startup development studio for non-technical bootstrap founders where we help them take an idea to market by doing things that don't scale Um, for, for about four or five years, I got involved in the launch of about 50 startups. Um, you know, that may sound a lot, but honestly, if we, uh, if we think about it from the perspective of how can you go to market quickly,
1: Mm -hmm. uh,
2: without a product and by doing things that don't scale, you know, we could go to market in a week. Mm -hmm. So I helped many entrepreneurs follow the same idea, the same process. Um, and then, beginning of this year, one of the things I wanted to do is launch new products and services, launch uh, digital products, co- coaching products, uh, services, consulting services. And one of the challenges that I had was that I did not have a an audience online. I did not have a personal brand on in the online space and in my field. So, one of the things I decided to do was instead of fighting for uh, influencers. Audience, I decided to leverage their audience. And the way I executed on that, and we can do it in many ways, was through the Bootstrapping Summit. That's when I documented the journey of about 100 bootstrapped entrepreneurs. And thanks to that event, I was able to welcome about 5,000 attendees, uh, built a relationship with some of the most successful entrepreneurs on the market. Um, I pre sold uh, my coaching service and very quickly accomplished the goal that I intended to accomplish, which is have six clients generate about $10,000 in monthly recurring revenue. And also thanks to that, I branded myself as an authority in this space. And just uh, two months later, I was able to uh, become a Forbes contributor, uh, something I've been wanting to to do for a while. And then came Startup Circle. Uh, So Startup Circle is, uh, our goal at Startup Circle is to provide Rising, aspiring, and growing entrepreneurs with personalized guidance through daily life Q and A sessions. So we bring some some uh, some successful entrepreneurs and we connect them with those rising entrepreneurs uh, live. We limit the sessions to three people. My goal is to really um, to democratize guidance. I am not looking to create a facebook live with hundreds of people commenting uh, every second i'm looking to have three people max so that not only can they ask questions but, but they can ask follow-up questions get personalized sure. and connect with the speakers and and get tips and strategies that they can instantly apply to move their business their own business forward um and that is uh that's 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 where we are today i'm the founder of StartupCircle.co and i help entrepreneur entrepreneurs take ideas to first paying customers and beyond.
1: Good. And with that being about six months old now, you're probably still learning from the experience and evolving that to better serve the customers and serve more customers. Exactly. So Startup Circle is three months old. Three months. Okay. Very good. Good. And I want to make sure we tell listeners where that is. But as listeners know, I always like a good innovation quote. So I want to make sure we hit this one first. I do have some listeners that just listen for the innovation quote. So (laughs) we got to share that. And if you'll you know, share with us the quote that you chose for us and tell us why that's important, please. Deepak Chopra
2: once said, instead of thinking outside the box, just get rid of the box. And, and, and remember when I read this quote, I was, I'm getting rid of the product. You know, that's exactly what I'm doing. If yeah. I'm going to imagine, or I'm going to, at least for me, you know, this is how it made sense for me. Uh, I said, well, in my case, I am, you know, the biggest challenge that I had in the beginning of every venture was how am I going to fund product development to go to market quickly and validate my ideas? And what if I can get rid of that product, that box Mm -hmm. Start thinking, you know, completely differently about ways I can go to market and accomplish all those goals uh, effectively and inexpensively by becoming the product and by doing things that don't scale and by getting my hands dirty. So that quote, you know, um, it it made a lot of sense uh, for the things that I was doing and and the things I, I help entrepreneurs do.
1: Yeah, it's a good context for you, right? Get rid of the box, get rid of the product. And there's other ways people would think about this, that you were conducting lots of experiments along the way, figuring out what works, right? Kind of leading to an MVP uh, rather quickly, that initial, I got one customer, I got one recycling center, I got one business, let's do something and learn from there. And that is, you know, this whole, I don't want to sidetrack this at all, you know, wrapping up here, but the the whole notion of this fail fast sort of mentality. um, I work with some larger companies that they they have a real struggle with this notion of fail period. You know, that's not part of the vocabulary they use. The whole point of this is we're learning. When when you put together a recycling concept, when you put together uh, Aspire IT or Startup Circle, you didn't know how to do that right in the beginning. And there's always opportunities to understand the customer better and we learn and we improve the product.
2: No, absolutely. And and, and what's the alternative really, Chad? Waiting six months, eight months, 12 months, 24 months to create the product so that later you can you know, find out that you know you you did it right, part of it right, or you did it completely wrong. Mm-hmm. You know that's risky because you know, as we all know, ninety percent, more than ninety percent of startups fail. And you know, just by waiting and projecting and keeping keeping to build under hypotheses is going to increase that number more and more. Uh, I like to start small uh, with the simplest thing that I can control and do within a week. And, and then, you know, I might realize that I'm not actually interested in continuing to do this. I've had some clients, for example, with Aspire IT who insisted on creating the product, insisted. They said, well, it's either this or, you know, we, we can't do it elsewhere. Uh, any, anyhow, you know, in different, in different ways, mm-hmm. we created the product, spent about nine months creating the product, and then realized that all the things that we could have done, we could have done. You know, by by in simpler ways by right. leveraging existing resources, um, and unfortunately, you know some people just drop it. You know, they they spend six figures on creating a product and then they move on. Um, so um, you know, by by starting small, by starting with the things you can control, by starting with the things that uh, are inexpensive and mm-hmm. uh, will allow you to go to market quickly
1: is is a much smarter way of, of innovating in, in, in mid-ways. And this is true for any size organization. Product managers that approach this in a way of being scrappy, what we're talking about, and doing things manually and just getting insights, that's how we quickly learn. Let's not make it any more complicated than it needs to be until we actually have the knowledge to develop the actual real product. Excellent. I'm sure listeners have some interest in startup circle. They're like, hmm, that sounded interesting what you were describing a moment ago. would like to know how to find out more about that. And also, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
2: If they want to connect with me, abdoriani.com. I think, Chad, you'll, you'll
1: put the link yep, under that. I will make sure all these links are in the show notes to make it easy for people.
2: Perfect. So when you visit abdoriani.com, the first thing you're going to see is how to have a quick conversation. You can schedule a time, 30 minutes, I'd love to tell you how all of this means to your specific case, your specific startup and idea. And you can join startupcircle.co if you'd like to attend live sessions and get personalized answers from some of the most successful entrepreneurs on the market. Uh, That is uh, something you can do by visiting startupcircle.co. It is free. We'd love to see you on answer questions and help you move forward.
1: And those live sessions are these the ones you said you're limiting to three people right now per session? Yeah, yeah so, so a small group to actually get real answers to real questions.
2: Exactly, three people max. Sometimes we do. We'll do it without people actually, okay. but we can. Um, but if you're only the one that's there, then you're the only one who's going to benefit from the session.
1: Yeah, maximum three. Though. And then you post the recordings for others to view later. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. So Next sh- day. yeah, sharing to the community. And a lot of people listening to this are in medium and large companies. How do you feel about the the entrepreneur activity inside an organization? Would is that someone you would like to see show up to a startup circle also and share ideas, or are you more focused on the entrepreneur, solopreneur pennant?
2: No, we we I had a, a call with Brian. Uh, I don't want to mispronounce his last name a couple of days ago. He is a talent acquisition strategist at the Muse, and he shared a lot of great insights about how they do business and. They, they you know sell their products and services to large uh, enterprise clients, something that you know startup founders will benefit a lot mm-hmm. from. So yes, uh, if you would like to share some insights with us, feel free to email me um, at ariani at startupcircle.co and I'd uh, love to have you on.
1: Thank you for the information. I am glad to hear about the scrappiness, uh, the way I would phrase it, right? The idea here that before we actually try to scale a product, be the product yourself, learn what you need to, to really create that solution that creates value for the customer. And don't get caught up with needing to automate things too early. And I love the quote and how you uh, rephrase that, to get rid of the box, get rid of the product itself. And I'm interested to know more about Startup Circle. So I want to go check that out. Thanks so much for your time.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This This was amazing. Thank you.
1: Thanks again so much for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where product leaders and managers make their move to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so that you'll create products customers love. And if you love this podcast, please help other product leaders and managers find it by leaving a review on iTunes. That makes this podcast more visible to others and that will really help out the entire community of product management. Once again, find the written notes of the discussion with Abdo at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 213. Keep innovating.
0: Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.